Welcome to the Player Engage podcast, where we dive into the biggest challenges, technologies, trends, and best practices for creating unforgettable player experiences. Player Engage is brought to you as a collaboration between Keyword Studios and HelpShift. Here is your host, Greg Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Player Engage podcast. Today, we are joined by John Wolheim, who has a myriad of titles associated with his name, but let's start in the beginning. He worked for companies such as REI, made a jump to a little company called Apple, where he spent about almost eight years there, Amazon, uh, and now he works or is an advisor for a company called Games for Love, as well as he's a top voice in AI and gaming on LinkedIn. He's a wealth of knowledge, talks to a tons of people, and we are excited and honored to be talking to him today. So, John... Thank you so much for joining us on the the podcast. Is there anything you'd like to say about yourself? You forgot my real title, which is Chief Schmuck Officer Who Talks Too Much, who's <laughs> Vice President of Being a Windbag. So I'm excited to demonstrate that here with you today, Craig. Well, it's great. I actually don't love talking. Up until college, I was a very quiet person and something changed, but I'm a, a great listener. So, so we can kick it off and kind of just start in the beginning, right? Let's start with some simple questions like, what's the last game you played? Oh, man. So I am playing. So in addition to World of Warcraft retail, which it's almost like admitting, yes, my name is John and I play World of Warcraft as powerfully addictive as that game is. The current iteration, Dragonflight 10.2, is so good. And anybody who isn't playing and hasn't for a while, this is me telling you, get back in now. It is so good. And at, when, at BlizzCon, when they announced the three expansions i was had the incredible fortune to be in that audience and i that was the moment it was back on for me and then i'm playing a game on mobile called farlight 84 uh, which is made by lilla studios which is um it's sort of a, a survival PUBG fortnite-esque but it's mm. all jetpack mobility based it's really well done really well done i'll have to check that out i'm kind of currently uh don't have any mobile games in my lineup so i gotta i gotta check out what's out there and, and play some some new stuff and get some fresh blood in there yeah. So let's talk about how John gets into gaming, right? When you look at your kind of background, right? What I see is REI, which everyone loves. You're from you're from California. I feel like everyone in California is outdoorsy and has to do that stuff. You jump to Apple a little a few years after the iPhone, so probably still like in a peak time of Apple. You do a lot at Apple, so like I usually save this question for a little later into the podcast. But let's start in the beginning of, of Little John. Oh, little John, that's a good one. Uh, John growing up, right? What what was your what brought you into gaming? Did you dream of working in gaming, or did you just happen to fall into it? Oh man, there's there's so many layers to that delicious tiramisu of a question, Greg. Uh, so first, Little John is um, okay. I had to do it the second you said Little John. Nailed it. Perfect. So Little John was not very little. I was actually a, a strangely large kid. I was six foot two in sixth grade, and I was this. That's how tall I am now, like pretty much peaked out right then and there, probably because I started drinking Dr. Pepper and eating Twinkies for like most of my nutrition for a good sustained few years after that, which led to That's Little John being particularly not little in high school. Uh, I actually weighed more than 350 pounds in high school. Um, so like yourself, introverted would barely even begin to describe me in uh, my first couple of years of high school before I decided to make some some changes that for me and my individual choices uh, resulted in me feeling better uh, in, in a variety of ways. But let's go back to, you know, further behind to, to answer your question of why games or, or how did I get into games? So my dad was a long haul coast to coast trucker, and he moved people's household goods from one part of the United States to another part of the United States. And so I got to grow up moving people's houses with him. And so that meant a travel and I got to be in every single state uh, before I was 10 years old, which was really, really cool. Um, I got to see every single national monument of, of note, but most notably, I got to meet really amazing people and spend a lot of time in truck stops, which are a weird part of this world. If you've ever been to a truck stop, it's most people listening here, if your family wasn't in logistics, you probably had to pull over on a long drive and had this huge center. You walked into this place and it was like a mall almost with a big restaurant in it. These are truck stops. This is where truck drivers would usually park and sleep in their trucks overnight to save money on hotels and to really just not have to stop and keep going. These places always had arcades. And so I would work in the truck with my dad and, and he would pay me and I would take that money and turn it into quarters and I would play arcades all throughout the United States. And so 
I grew up with the sound of pinball, Jurassic Park pinball, Terminator 2, Adam's Family. If you remember, that's the sound when you get the replay. That was the soundtrack of my childhood. And so that transitioned into consoles as I got a little bit older and actually started making a little bit more money in the truck with my dad and I could actually buy a Nintendo. And then it just kind of went from there. Kept playing, kept playing. And uh, that evolved over time. Fast forward way down the road. That love of games led me to build PCs so I could play StarCraft competitively. And that love of technology led me to consistently be that that person who was always trying to push the edge with tech, which is one of the things I'm most excited to talk about here on this call, which is jobs and games and, and why being a gamer is a huge competitive advantage when you when you let it be. Um, but it was for me in that, in that sense, when I was at REI, the iPhone had come out, the iPad had just come out, and I'm out here always talking about how do we use this tech, and, and REI is a wonderful company. And they said, here, John, go buy some iPads and do something with them. Um, and we had to do all this cool test pilot stuff. And in the meantime, I built relationships at Apple. And they said, well, you obviously love this stuff. So you might as well come over here and, and do the hiring that you're doing over there, over here. And there it was. It was kismet. And, and then fast forward to today. And uh, that runs through Amazon. That runs through an AI startup that we had the amazing good fortune to take public. Um, and here we are at Games for Love, which is a nonprofit that puts games into children's hospitals to replace pain with play to improve health outcomes. I want to make sure we talk about that. But uh, backing up, I, I loved your story because it, it all comes down to like the community aspect of it, right? We talk about community and gaming and making community sound more important to help people, right? And what we often talk about with a few of our guests, like their first hire was someone that was in the community helping people out. It was like, I was providing customer support for the game or helping players out. And then they reach out to someone like me or whoever, right? And offer them a job. And it's just like, that's the coolest. Like, again, this community is a really tight knit community and it's all about helping each other. Right. I mean, you can go to other services and I just don't think that people are as passionate and maybe they are. And I'm just mistaken. Right. But like we go home and we probably play games. Right. We play games with our friends that work in other places and other verticals as well. But it's a really tight knit community. I love how like you just owned the electronics. Right. You brought iPads into REI, which now everyone's like, no, duh. But like this was years ago before everyone even believed in the iPad to be other than something, a big iPhone, like, and Apple took notice of that. And that that's awesome. But let, let's talk about a little bit of for Games for Love, because, you know, we both have children and we've kind of talked about this. And, and I'm every time I see something now online where something happens to families, it's like heartbreaking to me and it's devastating. And I think kids deserve every opportunity that they get, right? And it's our job as humans, right, to help enable our children for a better future, a better tomorrow. So I love the idea of Games for Love. And I'd like you if you can give a, a brief overview on what it's for. But like, how did you get involved in it? Yeah, you, you know, Greg, one of the things you just mentioned this sort of like make the world better, or give our kids a better world maybe than we had is, is a an, another way to perhaps paint that very similar picture there. It's not unlike the purpose that you find in in playing games, being a parent, I think. And of course, it's in some cases for some people and, and not not being a parent is a choice that many people make or, or is a choice that was made for them. So I don't want to say that being a parent is this you know, the only source of this tremendous purpose and, 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 and meaning. It has been for me. So I'll speak only in my own experience. Um, as my partner and I, we welcomed our first biological child into our lives here this past January. And that little little lady turns one years old, uh, 13 days from the time of this recording, which is very, very exciting. Um, and I have a 21-year-old adopted child who I adopted with a prior partner who uh, is uh, an amazing member of the trans community. If I refer to them, I will use they, them pronouns uh, uh, in, in case that is something that anybody hears and says, what is that? That's why. But kind of going back to your question, there's a reason that I mentioned these kids. Um, and that's because I, I truly do believe that to your point, Greg, we, we have a, a calling I, and I almost said the word responsibility, but I think it's more of a calling, call it an evolutionary response, call it a learned socialized response. But there's this need to make sure that these little beings that are looking at us saying, hey, what happens next? There's a need to be able to say something good and to have an answer for that because we're responsible for that. And especially when it's a it's a little infant, you know, and now, now almost a little toddler, holy smokes, who's looking at you saying, you know, dada. Time what will fly. Enjoy it while you can. Yeah, yeah right. They, they they say that the uh, the days are long, but the years are short. 
And I have to say that this year has been short and the days, specifically the nights, have been very long with plenty of spit ups and all kinds of diapers. But let's go back to Games for Love. So why did I get involved with Games for Love? So shortly after our little one uh, was born and I actually exited the AI startup that I was part of after going public and it was just perfect timing, took a first of my lifetime career pause to actually use this once in a lifetime chance to be there to see the first year. And now that that's coming to an end, I'm I'm excited to actually transition back into the workforce at some point in the future, which will be a lot of fun. So I'm going to actually use some of this advice that I'm so privileged to be able to be out here helping to share with the amazing Amirs and Aarons and all these wonderful Aidas and Justins, Chris's of the world. But Games for Love came along. Uh, it just happened to be a post that Justin Williams, who I mentioned a moment ago, uh, he's a, a senior recruiter over at Activision Blizzard. He had shared a post about ways to get into gaming in unconventional ways. And one of those was volunteering. And I had run hiring uh, for gaming at many, many places, including those big those big tech companies that we talked about. But I had never really been in it like fully, like professionally in a completely 100% sense. And so that's what's next for me. As I transition back into the workforce, that'll be it. But I wanted to, in the meantime, do something that benefited somebody beyond just the four walls of our home. And I, when I was 12 years old, I was actually in the hospital for some six months in and out, very brief periods out of that hospital for some some really unpleasant stuff. And um, this was before cell phones. This is way, way back in the day. And so technology wasn't great. In fact, the first Game Boy Color had just come out. So I'm definitely, people can do some math and get my pretty much exact carbon dated age right now. But basically what happened is when I went into that hospital, as I mentioned, my dad was a trucker and he was not, you don't go into trucking for the money, folks. It is not a lucrative pursuit. But when I did go in and it became clear that I was going to be there for a long time and he wasn't going to be able to be there, he actually scraped together enough money and, and bought me that, that Game Boy Color with Pokemon Red. And man, did I play the pixels out of that thing. Every, I, I truly believe I walked every square inch of that game. Like every possible pixel that your sprite could inhabit, I think I did. Uh, mostly because I had so much time. But here's the thing. I don't remember the bad parts of that hospital visit, which is crazy. I don't remember the smell. I don't remember doctor's conversations. Specifically, I don't remember a lot of the pain. And I know there was a lot of that. I do remember all the entire front to back of Pokemon Red. And that was, I think, a young mind latching onto something positive and a source of meaning and purpose in a sea of ambiguity, pain, and fear. And there's millions of kids right now around the world who are in that exact place. And so Games for Love puts games largely through the use of Nintendo Switches into hospitals, largely children's hospitals, and helps the medical professionals there to understand how to integrate that technology, games, into care protocols. So it's not just a dusty Xbox that's shoved into a back corner or something that the staff plays on their breaks, which is actually great to have that mental unloading because our healthcare professionals need that. And they actually use some of this technology as well. It creates a net good. But really, it's there for the kids to, again, replace pain with play and increasingly to be able to stay connected to their social aspects of their lives, their family, their friends, uh, through online games. The role of Fortnite, for example, um, has been transformative. And I've seen so many stories already of kids saying, as silly as it might sound, even in the gaming community, we can sometimes laugh at ourselves and think that we sound like nerds when we say some of this stuff. And we do sound like nerds a lot of the time, to be fair. But when I say something like Fortnite, I truly believe, I, I truly believe I have met people for whom Fortnite has saved their life. And I truly believe that that is to be the case. Saying that out loud sounds almost silly and people might even laugh at me within the community, but I will say that with sincerity and commitment and, and zealous commitment because it's true. Anyway, I'll, I'll ramble on about Games for Love for eternity because I think it's just fantastic. One thing to note, gamesforlove.org, we have an amazing volunteering program, a wonderful way to get into the games industry with real world experience. You could be coding a game, 
less than a week from the time that you sign up, or you could be working with me and people in culture or all kinds of other things. I, I think it's such a great cause. We'll, we'll link to it. We'll share it with everyone so they have it as well. I, I think your story, thank you for sharing it. I know it's an unfortunate situation, but you've learned from it. You grew from it. I, I mean, these escapes are, are very important. And to your to the last point you made where like you, you've met people that Fortnite maybe saved their lives. I, I 100% agree. I mean, from different people I've spoken to, I've got the opportunity to hear about, you know, a lot of times people, I, I'm a big Redditor, right? Like people are very toxic because they can hide behind the mask of uh, anonymity, like bad at saying words here, right? Being anonymous online, right? And while usually people are assholes when you're being anonymous online, there's also people that are maybe shy or scared or have anxiety and are afraid to to express themselves. But when you're online behind the character, they have that, right? They have that that uh, courage, that, that strength to do so. And, and by being in the uh, industry, right, you can go meet these communities, meet new friends. World of Warcraft's that perfect example, right? You, you mentioned it in our earlier, right? Like when we chatted, it's uh, you've met people that have gotten married. Relationships have grown through these games. And, and I think Fortnite is a huge platform, right? I, I love the concept of Fortnite. I stopped playing for years and I logged back in and it blew my mind what it's become. It's just, it's such a great community. And I think what you're doing for Games for Love, I, I think everyone and anyone who has the means to take a look into it should, because again, uh, with or without children, I believe that children are really the future and we need to be able to give them the best opportunity. And it, and for the unfortunate children, right, giving them these escapes lets them forget what might be happening. And I, I think that's very powerful. So, so I thank you for sharing your story there. Absolutely. Um, it also kind of goes into kind of, and maybe it's not, right? But like, we wanted to talk about a little bit about the neurosciences and biochemistry. What what happens in our brain when we are playing, right? There's, there's. I, I spoke with a, an audio guy, Matt Ambler. He was talking about the dopamine effects of when you're listening to music and you're playing a game and you get that experience. And I know that's something that you really like to kind of explore and talk about. So I, I guess starting at a high level, do you want to explain what we mean when we're talking about kind of the neuroscience in gaming? Yeah, absolutely. So perfect spot to call out I, I really enjoy the community here, specifically on LinkedIn and games, because there's just this unique sort of constellation right now of people who are just here sharing resources in the professional sense to help people get into games just because they, they want to and because they care, largely as a volunteer effort that has nothing to do with their work. One of those people is Aida Figueroa, who is out in Barcelona. I'm excited to be able to actually go and, and visit uh, here with my family soon, which is really, really exciting. But Aida recently hosted a, an audio event that she and I put together, uh, which was the Neuroscience of Games. And it actually ended up being the highest engagement anything that I've been part of, including some of these big symposiums, because it created a conversation that it actually grew over time instead of kind of echoing until it went silent. Um, and I think that's because. We're always curious about how our brains work. And it's it's really incredible when you have a, something as poignant as games because the examples are, are very, very powerful and they're very recent and they're very relatable. So reward-driven engagement is really the, the sort of main operating term to, to play with here. Reward-driven engagement is why a quest system works so well in World of Warcraft. Reward Driven engagement is also why you are more likely to stick to your exercise goals when you use the Lose It app or or gamified tools like that for any sort of goals that you set for yourself. Whether your goal is farming 15 acorns that you're going to give to the Arch Druid or it's to walk five miles this week, either way, when you can see the incremental steps that you're taking, you're much more likely to continue doing it. And that's exactly what many, many companies have figured out. Really excited to talk about Web3, which is has a huge adjacency here at some point in our conversation today. But you, you really have a, a small number of, uh, or I should say a short list of biochemical reactions and or um, endocrine elements that, that are at play in the mind. Dopamine is one of those. That's essentially what, what we have in our mind that tells us something feels good. And we should do that more serotonin, which essentially maintains or tells us you are happy or, or maintains a mood. Um, you've got oxytocin, which is essentially creating a sense of belonging and or love. Uh, and of course, adrenaline, which is going to be trigger your fight or flight, get your heart beating real fast. These are all 
criminal simplifications, oversimplifications of the role of these things, but just for the sake of the conversation, this is what some of what these these things do. Um, and when they are played together, you're usually seeing when you're playing a game that you really like, that game is actually a carefully orchestrated symphony of those chemicals being dispersed in your brain in a specific order that really ends up feeling like music, like kind of like Ratatouille, you know, the, the beautiful colors that you experience. You remember games, big moments in games. If you grew up in the 90s, you probably remember when you found the Master Sword in Link to the Past, that music, that huge moment. That was a real accomplishment. You know, I remember I had two friends in the room when that happened and we were like cheering. Oh, we did it. We did it. We did it. And that will always be with me because my dopamine was super high. I had incredible oxytocin because it was a social experience. There's a sense of belonging there with my friends, so on and so forth. So dopamine, though, is the primary driver of reward-driven engagement. And it is also, it's all, I think it's really important to always talk about, you know, games are fantastic, but like anything, there's there's such a thing as too much. I don't think anybody listening to this needs to hear this necessarily, but for anybody who might be critical of saying like, oh, okay, we talk all about all this great stuff about games as an industry, as an element in, in society. And I truly believe that games are a force for good. But I also believe that Tylenol is a force for good. I believe that penicillin is a force for good. You can take too much of those things. And so too with gaming. So I think that overstimulation and addiction are two, or maybe dependence is a better word to use. Overstimulation and dependence are, are two things to really think about with games where if you're dependent upon it and it's the only reason you get out of bed, it's probably not good. Or if you game and for whatever reason, your unique biochemistry, you get so overstimulated that then you have a hard time interacting outside of that space. Um, it's probably again, not good. And you, you probably want to moderate a little bit, but yeah, that's kind of a brief primer on the biochemistry. You know, I've spoken to a few game designers and it's interesting to hear how they describe building those situations or those those experiences into a game whether it be like a, throwing a grenade and and building out a few extra bounces for it to get where it needs even though they don't need to right it, it's it's all really a symphony right a symphony whatever where like everything has to play a role i, I mean we talk, you, as you were talking through the the dopamine effect right i thought about booting up mario 64 for the first time because that was one of those major experiences for me where you kind of fly down see mario and 3d see the castle as well as gta 3 right because gta 3 kind of pioneered open world yeah gta 2 was there but it was overhead and then all of a sudden you saw everything from the eyes and you're just like wow and, and rockstar is like phenomenal at that right because every gta since then they've managed to one-up themselves and you just think how that happens again but i i, I love that you 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 talk about the addictive side of it right because you know, rewards are a great way to help people get excited about it. But when you start having daily grinds, daily challenges, or like it's 1150 and you're like, oh my God, I haven't logged in and collected all my gems yet. Like, all right, let's, it's not the end of the world. I get it. Right. But like, you know, I know yeah. China tried to pass that law a couple of weeks ago, kind of, oh, I know yeah. it's a little different than what was there because it was very predatory, but like there is that fine line. And again, if we hate to always bring the conversation back to kids here, right? Like when I'm letting my son who's five now or jump into some of the games that I'm playing, I'm worried that he's going to hit a button or figure out the wrong thing. Or, or you hear about Roblox, like Roblox scares me just based on, on their practice. And don't get me wrong, it's a cool environment, but you know, it's, it's the dopamine effect is fantastic and it's needed. It builds these great things, but you have to be careful because there are companies out there that are going to take advantage of those, those sure. sciences, right? And, and hook you i mean it's no different than social media social media it's no different than anything else in the world right just just uh, you said it in the beginning like know your limits no like go take a break go take a walk and, and this can lead into web3 because you know there are web3 games now that address like hey pokemon go is a great example get outside yeah. go walking go move around and i know there's many more kind of metaverse web3 games that are being built that encourage it and while I am not yet a true believer, I do see a path forward with it. Like getting people to move around, getting people outside, I think is only going to help everyone. And I think you got to embrace that, especially post COVID because everyone was locked up for the longest time and now we can get out again. So uh, I think you touched a lot of important things that are, are happening in gaming and that people need to be aware of. Yeah, man, there was that magical time in 2016 that you remember this, everybody was out, you know, that, that kiddo that I had mentioned uh, that at the time, gosh, I believe they were. 14, right? Something like that. No, even younger. 
we would literally after work go out and just chase Pokemon and end up at big like duck ponds with hundreds of other people with our lights on. We were team Valor because we make good life choices and other people were mystic and whatever the yellow one was. Uh, and, uh, and, but there was this, this amazing sort of singular community moment. I'll never forget those, those days, not only because it was such an awesome moment with that amazing little human, but also because that was a, I've never experienced something like that. I don't know if we will again have that sort of cohesion as a, as a community where everybody's just on this, this one thing in a physical space, maybe with spatial computing, you know, web, Web3 and spatial computing are, are definitely, I believe, the two as we kind of look toward the future of games, which I'm super excited to actually start next week at the time of this recording, starting next week and the week after I'm doing a whole series on future of games because so many questions that are coming up now are like, what's next? What should we think about? How should I think about my career? How should I think about what I'm learning to code, to design, to, to understand? And it, I think it's important to think about spatial computing, but ultimately Web3 as a sort of underlying architecture for everything. But Anyway, yeah, that was such a cool time. I'm so glad you brought up Pokemon Go. Let's uh, let's hear your take on, on Web3, right? Can, uh, can you put your sales head on and, and talk to me about Web3 <laughs> in your vision? Yeah, so alongside my my amazing time with Game for, Games for Love, I've had this opportunity to become an advisor for a number of game studios um, and a number of folks that make technology that supports games, a couple of startups and a couple of, of larger brands. One of those is actually these guys, they're, they're called freename.io. They actually make this shirt that I'm wearing right now. And uh, they they make Web3 domains and sell them. And uh, they gave me john.gaming. So that's pretty amazing that, that john.gaming was even available, but that's, that's a Web3 ID. That's an example of a domain, an SLD, that uh, I now own and I've minted to my blockchain. And I'm excited about that because now if you go on any Web3 enabled browser and you type in John.gaming, you go to this stunning 3D website made by this group called Peach Worlds that lets you see a live preview in this 3D immersive space that's ready for spatial computing, by the way. You can see my Twitch stream, what's going on live, my TikTok, my LinkedIn, my Instagram, uh, a live feed of everything that I kind of care about and want to share with you. And in this sort of immersive social media-esque experience that goes way beyond what we've ever seen before. Think, think of it as like a link tree, but with like five dimensions built into it um, of personality and immersion. Anyway, Web3. Why Web3? Why do I care about this? Why did I start working with the freename.io peeps? By the way, you can go to freename.io and you can get your .gaming uh, domain before they're, they're selling very rapidly. And so it's probably not super likely that like, greg.gaming is still available but it if you're was. like you know out, out of my price range right now well they're usually like between 50 and sometimes 200 bucks but you know let's say you're like you know uber panther 28 uh or whatever your gaming handle is that's probably uber panther 28 is probably still available anyway web3 the reason i even got involved with these guys is one they're brilliant and two the fungibility of web3 i believe is something that's going to completely transform gaming and th there's an example that I like to talk about that for me was where I really started to start to understand the role of blockchain in games. So Greg, if you were like me, you made some awesome decisions in high school and you were probably sitting in the back of the cafeteria playing magic cards. So if anybody, this is that like, you know, there's the tears of nerddom, right? We all, we, we can look to up and down like somewhere in the middle here towards the bottom, at least in my experience, was the magic card players. Back in the day, it was D&D. Now D&D players like way up here. They're like the alpha nerds, which is super cool. But back then, the magic card players and the D&D players were not the alpha nerds. We were the people sitting in the back uh, of the cafeteria. Magic cards are a great example, right? Like at the time, you would buy packs of cards, just like you buy your Hearthstone cards, just like you buy any of these uh, other many, many training card games. But you had one card, and that one card was singular in the world, right? There were other versions, there are copies of it, but that one thing that you were holding was the only place that that existed. And you only had one, and you could trade it, right? And just like with NFTs, right? What we learned from NFTs was, first of all, it was an interesting learning experience, but NFTs as a sort of actual currency definitely weren't this you know, future of monetary currency that many people were, were touting it to be. 
crypto may still have that role in the future for some folks, but certainly not NFTs, at least that I can see. However, imagine a world where you have a blockchain, an item that you've minted on a blockchain, let's say a sword, right? Like the sword of a thousand truths that you have minted to you in World of Warcraft. Imagine a world where you have minted that to your blockchain wallet and your wallet is synced to, say, Valorant as well. And that exact same sword appears in Valorant, right? And now the fungibility of that thing or the transferability has gone up 10x. The interoperability now that you've, you've got with that one item, like a magic card that you could swap between decks and play in different places. Now you can build really cool stuff around that. And the, the application for cross-play 3.0 is insane. The, the ability to take all of this stuff, these assets that you've, you've spent all this time building this thing over here. And if you ever built a character up somewhere and then walked away from a game, it can feel like you just, you know, burned, a, like took 150 hours of your life and just threw it in a pile and just burned it. Well, imagine if every single moment you spent on a game added value to every other game you played for the rest of your life. That is really the power of Web3. And I think that it's only starting to come along. Spatial computing is going to accelerate this 10x. AI, of course, can't have a conversation with technology without talking about AI. AI is why this this adoption is picking up so so quickly because it's so much easier to create around new technology because technology is creating so quickly. Um, and it is becoming its own sort of self recursive loop or geometric expanding um, computing power plus plus new technology cycle. But yeah, super, I, I don't want to make this the entire Web3 call, but that's why I'm excited about Web3. That's the way I'm participating in it, which is with freename.io through the .gaming uh, world, which I think is going to be really transformative for people's central gaming identities. One day, I think all Twitch streamers will be Greg.gaming, John.gaming, Ninja.gaming, TimTheTatman.gaming, so on and so forth. Uh, Pokemane.gaming. I, I like a lot of what you said, but I want to play devil's advocate to, to one of the points that you made because I hear it a lot, but uh, but I feel like, you know, right, if you create a sword in Warcraft and you want to bring it to Valorant, right? The problem is then Activision or Blizzard needs to be in talks with Riot to make sure that, hey, does this asset work in your game, right? It's not like you could take a square and put it in a circle game. It just doesn't work like that. And I love the idea of it, right? I love the ability to say, hey, I, I purchased this and I can bring it to any game where I realistically see that happening. And I don't know why it's not yet is like mm. for Electronic Arts, right? Electronic Arts has Madden cards. They have FIFA cards. They have all these, uh, right? Like the online things like that in a world makes a lot of sense for me to create for lack of better words, like a metaverse, like here's your trading card universe. Here's the upgraded mm. year, right? Your cards still carry over or... Fortnite's doing a great job of it, right? If you buy a skin, you can turn it into a Lego skin or you can turn it into a car, right? Like there are places this works and there's places that they don't work. And going back to the whole NFT side of things, right? Like, mm. and even going back further to talk about the dopamine effect and the neuroscience, right? Like I think NFTs, and maybe they will be something, right? But I think they put such a bad taste in people's mouth with how they first came out that it's going to be hard to get people to adopt them. I think it's one of those things that maybe they will be a, a thing, but you can't call it what it is, right? Like I had this one great conversation with a, with someone that was like, every time every time Call of Duty comes out with a sequel update, they don't go out there and say, it's a whole new thing. Here's a brand new sequel update. And like, it all happens behind the scenes and it just works. It blends into the game. And I think that's what NFTs at least need. Uh, hmm. They just need to be a part of it, right? They can't just... I don't know if any of that makes sense, but that's kind of my gut feeling. And I do think Web3 will be something. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, you and I were both around for the launch of Web2, which I feel like it took a decade upon itself because people kept saying, oh, Web2 is coming, Web2 is coming. And the next thing you know, it's there, right? Like, I'm not sold. We necessarily know what it is. I love the dot gaming stuff. I think all that stuff does make sense and it will be will play a role in it. It's just, you know, it gets down to the nitty gritty of what are these assets that are going to carry over? How do they carry over? How's ownership work? I think it becomes this fairly heavy conversation, which is fascinating to me. Like, I do think 2024 is the year of Web3. I, I do. I just don't know the form it's going to fully take when it's time. Well, I would say if we if we were to rub a crystal ball or whatever you do with a crystal ball to see the future, I think that this is going to happen in Southeast Asia. So Southeast Asia is 
absolutely the hotbed of Web3 game development. Um, not only because there's so much interoperability so that you do something with one game or ecosystem and that plugs into something else because there's so many new ecosystems coming up, but there's a huge amount of investment. There's one and a half billion dollars went into Web3 game studio VC in 2023 alone. And that's on track to be 3x that in 2024, to your point, Greg, of the, the year of year Web3. So I think that it's it's actually, it's probably a cultural thing, I, I think, that you know, especially our very sort of Western, largely US-centric game design, game philosophy, understanding of how games work. I think that you're going to see a Tencent or who knows uh, come along and and really integrate meaningfully even if even if you only had like blockchain items that worked between Honkai Star Rail and Genshin Impact, just two games within one universe, or not even the same universe, within one sort of game studio <laughs> ecosystem, right then and there, you've already now introduced this sort of fungibility piece. And Blizzard is actually starting to do some of this with their accounts, where, for example, if you went to BlizzCon, you get all this stuff. You mounts appear in your in your collection, you've got card backs and Hearthstone, all the games, you, you've got some sort of new cool decoration or, or collateral. And it's it's starting to pick up speed now where I believe that once one or two big market movers start to integrate blockchain technology to give people that serious return on investment, because here's the thing, once you make things fungible, you make them sellable. And I think that coming back to, to Fortnite, the reason I'm so excited about what Epic's doing with Fortnite actually has nothing to do with the game. It, the game is phenomenal. We've we've all aligned around that. However, what they're doing with UEFN, Unreal Engine for Fortnite, and the marketplace they're building as a commerce hub and an, a, 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 a hotbed, an accelerator for opportunity, there are people making millions of dollars right now building and creating and selling on that marketplace, just like Roblox. And I think it's creating a sort of generation of entrepreneurs that that very few people that I know, even that are on the sort of bleeding edge of games, have stopped to really consider. And I think that when you take a lot of money and a lot of speed of development and you add in the ability to actually make things resellable, like a domain, um, like a physical item, that, of course, is what blockchain does, is it makes one thing and only one thing. Then I think you're going to really start to see something cool. Um so yeah, there's my ramble. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I like that, and I think the other thing I think 2024 the, is the year of is user generated content. I think everyone's creating stuff now. I think you know we, we just talked about the predatory uh, Roblox type of stuff. Epic at least is doing it by the books, so so that's that's cool. But like, I love the ability for people to start creating content. I think it that builds a stronger community, it gives longer legs to games because more people are contributing stuff to it. Um, the one thing I'm curious on your thought of is someone that is big in AI is when are we going to start seeing and maybe we already do in, in user generated content is people just throwing stuff into Dolly or or any other web generation tool and, and spamming it right like uh, this probably isn't the best and most thought out question in general but but I guess my question is more around the AI and gaming and, and is that something that worries you excites you all the above so AI and gaming for me. The, the first place that my mind goes when we start talking about that, if you just put that on the table and where, where my brain goes is the application to, or implications, I should say, for professional opportunities, i.e. jobs, because of AI. And I think we've already probably seen the first wave of uh, reduction in force or layoffs is, is the appropriate word to use. And this is probably a good time to remind everybody that these opinions are my own. They have nothing to do with Apple or Amazon or any other entity with whom I've ever been affiliated or may ever be affiliated. Um, what's nice about being a unique sole entity right now is I can say these things um, from a place of complete, just it's just me. Nobody's nobody's paying me right now. Uh, even as an advisor for free name, I'm just there as a, an advocate uh, and there for the ride because it's so exciting. Uh, now that said, I, I do think that we are going to see more layoffs in 2024. We, we're already seeing, you know, some 21,000, you know, a few weeks into, uh, thanks to Unity and some stuff that happened at Twitch and, and YouTube. 
which is unfortunate, or I should say Google specifically, this is unfortunate. This is, these are people's jobs. These are human beings whose lives are fundamentally altered, who ultimately got written a bad check. You know, people went to school, they wanted to get into this thing and they did. And then because of largely irresponsible or overly optimistic hiring, and I will always say bad business outcomes, 100% need to be attributed to leadership. That's just what it is. That's just all that there is to it. Look at how different things are in two different gaming companies, right? Take any of the gaming companies that have had major layoffs, specifically in the United States, and then take a look at what Nintendo did in Q4 of 2023 and they are doing now in Q1 of 2024. Every single executive took a significant pay cut. Many gave up big equity. Many took significant steps backward financially and acknowledged the fact that the market wasn't what they thought it would be and they didn't bet correctly, essentially. And as such, no layoffs, right? As opposed to other entities that did not take that stance. And you've got plenty of executives who don't have anything different in their paychecks when thousands and thousands of people do, when that Delta could have easily canceled the other one out, i.e. executives. And I speak as a, as a quote unquote, big leader in some of these companies. You have to own this. If you're an executive in a gaming company, you need to own the business outcomes, including the need to have layoffs, and you need to do everything that you can to avoid that. Now, AI is unfortunately accelerating this because it's it's kind of, I think, speaking to people's kind of darker motivations. And for shareholders, sometimes that can speak to, wow, we could potentially have these double-digit margin savings by erasing entire groups. And the only way we're going to find that out is if we try it. And they're trying it. And I believe that it's not working. I believe that you're seeing AI not meaningfully integrated. It is, to your point, Craig, it's almost becoming a meme now where people are creating stuff in the dollies and the mid journeys of the world. And I say this as somebody who very openly creates a lot of stuff in mid journey, but I'm not trying to hide it, right? Like I'm, I use it for my silly graphics that I put on as like caricatures of other creators on LinkedIn in this. But I'm not like trying to say this is my original artwork. This is my, you know, prompt messing around for a couple of hours. But when people are trying to build games around AI generated content, it's just not there yet. And I think people are making bad bets that it is here and it's going to be here soon. And it's costing jobs. And that's not okay. I believe that that's not okay. Um, because that's people's lives that we're talking about. I am really excited to see some of the trajectory that's happening in the United States right now around protections, including unionization, and some of the other work that people are doing to protect developers and to protect people who trusted and got into this industry to, to create amazing things and really just want to do that and do so with safety, psychological and financial safety. But AI is not helping with that right now. Where I think in the next six months, when the corner turns, especially as interest rates start to come back down and in the economy, fortunately, we are heading into an election, which is a huge source of uncertainty. So that might turn this actually around and reverse course and, and put us into more of an uncertain financial space, which means, again, higher interest rates. But when money becomes more available, people become more willing to borrow it and get access to it and use it, more jobs. And I think people are really going to stop and say, okay, we had our adolescence with AI. And now we have a good understanding of what we can actually do with this that's meaningful and positive, as opposed to just novel and let me just see what I can do because everybody's doing this and I and I guess I have to do it too. And now my board is telling me I have to save all this money on payroll because they read an article this morning that said that that AI could could do all the level design. So, but it can't, and it, it's not going to for a long time. So I'm hopeful that back side of 2024, Q3, probably Q4 you're really going to see this big upswell of hiring in games as studios realize the wonderful, brilliant creators that are human and understand how to design for humans are still here and let's bring them back and let's let's build some stuff. There's something to be said about the human touch, which I think is often overlooked in something. And I am a true believer in AI. I think people should embrace it. I don't think companies should fully embrace it yet. I think Individuals should be utilizing these tools to strengthen what they do. I don't think it should be replacing what they do. And, and there are a lot of upsides, right? I, I mean, Unity is the example. They grew because they needed to put a lot of content out there during COVID, and they hired a ton of people, put a lot of content out there. And all of a sudden, 
the market starts to slow down. Fine, we have to get rid of people, but let's replace these people with machines and machines will just start automatically putting this content out there and people see right through it. I mean, if you go online, right, and people see images that are generated, they're like, why does that guy have six fingers? Why, what, like... It's like people don't proof check the stuff. Yeah, 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 right. Like it shouldn't stop people from learning and understanding how these tools work because I like it's one of those things that once the technology is out there and I know people are calling for it to go back, like it's already out there. You can't escape it, so you might as well embrace it. And I think it happened like when we went from like horse and buggy to cars. People are like, "No, I don't want cars." Like, what's going on with that? Yeah, trust me, a horse and buggy had no chance, right? Like, embrace change it is scary right but especially for people who are first coming out of school now this is a great opportunity to start learning these new tool sets like talk to people in other other companies that are like no i don't use chat gpt or anything i was just like you might as well throw like an email and say how does this sound right or something like don't put any personal stuff in there right you don't want that on the the llms but like utilize these tools it won't replace you but if you know how to use it it's just gonna make you a more powerful employee at what you have the ability to do and also going back to your original point executives for sure should be responsible. Is anyone going to hold them responsible for the layoffs? Probably not. Um, but but yes, I, I agree with you, right? People have big eyes, big visions, big numbers in their mind. They're like, oh, we can hit these numbers. And all of a sudden, profits fall off a cliff. What are you going to do? Like, it's a shitty place to be. I've been talking a lot you know, here, but go ahead. No, I, it, it, I, I, everything you just said, Greg, I couldn't align with more completely, especially this two, two of your sentiments, one of which my own version of that would be, you know, create with ai don't create as ai so the idea of you know and and like like everybody i when trying it out i first was like hey can i have jasper.ai or even chat gpt through make.com can i automate article creation let's just see how this works fortunately i think especially at the very beginning many of us were were forward-looking enough to say disclaimers, hey, this is AI, just so you know, I'm kind of playing with this. This is not my work. And I think that the uncanny valley is a much deeper trough than anybody really wants to acknowledge. And getting out of the uncanny valley, I think we're all realizing maybe we don't want to be. Maybe we don't want to get out of the valley where things that are deep faked or images that were created by non-human hands get to be completely unmistakable from that of what a machine has generated. Yes, we will be there. We're going to get there. And our path to that place is faster every day. But it is further away, I think, than we than we all thought. Certainly further away than the people who are getting called out for like their, <laughs> their AI-generated big banners printed at CES and some of the silly stuff that's still happening now where you, you, you're like, what? Who did not proofread that that memo? But right. one of the other things that you you'd mentioned, Greg, is a sort of like responsibility. And, you know, who's holding executives accountable? I think two answers to that, in my opinion, or three, really, if we add a level of personal advocacy that may or may not ring well with a lot of folks. One is we vote with our dollars. So, like, are you going to buy a product from from a company that laid off five thousand people because they could, not because they had to? but because they could and they didn't make strides, right? And this this goes to like a level of research, like like with voting, voting with your dollars that not everybody wants to do. So I'll get off my soapbox with that one, but worth questioning, right? Like if you give your money to that group, what role did you play in that layoff? Second is I think we we vote with our jobs, right? So if you are at a place that made that choice, do you decide to stay there? and continue to perpetuate a culture that will just do it again, right? Especially if you have the same leadership. But the third is, I think that there's there are executives out there, truly amazing executives. And there's two names that I think I would encourage everybody who's listening to this to go and, and kind of look at if you want to, in my opinion, in one person's opinion. Um, and that's going to be Annie and Jeff Strang, which, which is, you know, these are people who've been in the games world since blizzard in 97 or something like that on dead studios now they have britannia media which has crop circle games and a number of other studios underneath this umbrella where they're all about sustainable game creation and the the amount of of uh, diversity and inclusion that they build into their teams to make sure that they have intention and their design is is absolutely breathtaking and then also ben cavallo over at midwest games now these are these are production houses. These are, these are essentially studios that perpetuate studios. 
But I love that because that means that everybody under that umbrella is safer and has a, a more trustworthy uh, backstory to rely upon when things change because market circumstances change. I'm not saying that every single layoff that's ever happened wasn't necessary. That's that's simply not true. That's not the reality of business. But I, I do think that in a world where the economy has grown so significantly, the industry has grown so significantly, record profits are being posted between something like four to some measure, 7% of the, of the entire industry being laid off in one year, that is inappropriate. So that that's where I'm coming from. And the Annie's and Jeff's and Ben's of the world, I think are the sort of counterpoint to that sort of work. So I know we're getting close to time and I want to do talk a little more about the layoffs. And usually in the middle of the podcast, which I think we're way past, I do a quick spitfire round. Uh, you're okay with that? I'll do it right now. It should take less than a minute. I'm going to just throw some questions at you. Bang, bang. Your ability. Ready? Let's roll. What do you have for breakfast? Sous vide egg bites, Gruyere and uncured bacon. From Starbucks, huh? Or make them. Made at home. Nice. But as close to Starbucks as I could get. There you go. Perfect. Um, if you were to go to a bar, what type of drink are you getting? Uh, iced tea. Iced tea. Nice. Um, last Long book- Island iced tea. <laughs> what, uh, what's the last book that you read? Ah, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow. Okay, perfect. Um, usually I ask what's the last game you played, but I cheated and asked you that one in the beginning. So let me ask you this as someone that's in AI and tech. And if you're for people that aren't watching the video, John has a lot of cool gadgets here. What is your favorite gadget you purchased in the last physical year? Oh, that's going to be this thing right here. So this is a, um, a one-handed gaming keyboard. It's made by a company called Azeron, and this is 3D printed. Uh, these, these guys are actually out of Ukraine, which is amazing that they're still completely in production. They're, they're keeping their business rolling despite the ongoing conflict. Hear those little clicks. Yeah. Every single one of those little pink dots is a key. So there's like 30 individual keys that you can hit all in sequence. So it in completely replaces your keyboard. So if you're into MMOs like World of Warcraft, your response time and your ability to actually do all of these crazy commands you're trying to do, it, it is, I would say, probably reduced by about 80%. And so it's a completely different game. Like, it, And it's so much fun, and it feels like the future, and it looks super weird, and it's a cool conversation piece. John is looking like Thanos over here. And as long as you hear the clicks and not a snap, we're good to go. Oh my gosh, ready? I am inevitable. There you go. All right. So you're off the hot seat. Hopefully that was easy enough. Um, I truly respect, and I'm trying to, to learn how to mimic your approach, for lack of better words, on how you're helping the community amongst this time of layoffs between yourself and Amir, you see a lot of big names in the industry trying to help each other provide resources. And that's fantastic. So maybe this could be a two part question on why, why, I mean, it's a silly question to ask, but what's drawing you to help these individuals and where can they find resources for this help? So second question first, there are a few places that I would recommend people look like here's buttons to click. And um, really, really excited to have a conversation with uh, this amazing human named Camille, uh, who we're going to have a LinkedIn Live next week. And she likes to describe herself as the clicky person. Like, she's who you talk to when you want to learn exactly what to type into a Boolean string or exactly how to tweak your resume, as opposed to all this big strategy stuff. This is the, like, seasoned 25-year recruiter who's telling you, here's exactly what to do. Super excited to talk to her. But the clicky stuff is absolutely Amir Satbat's jobs resources. So this is an impossibly valuable, even if you're not into games, honestly, like even if you don't have any interest in games, by the time you meaningfully participate in this thing as a mentor, as a mentee, as a learner, even just somebody who wants to see an amazing ecosystem and community, it's you'll want to be in games by the time you're done because you'll see the extent to which people are helping each other, giving up their own time, because we all want this industry to thrive and we all believe in the people that have created the worlds in which we like to play and explore and belong. That's at least my motivation. I have a secondary motivation though, which is this. Anytime there's big market changes, 
it's almost inevitable that the least represented people are the highest impacted in those shifts. And so if you look at BIPOC employees, female identifying and presenting employees, these are disproportionately, and some estimates are that approximately 42% of the people that were laid off are female presenting in an industry that still has about an 18 to 20% representation. That is a difference that you cannot ignore. And this is all, the, the reason I'm not quoting this data is I've seen very different numbers. That's some of the more optimistic numbers. Anybody who sees different numbers, I encourage you to please reach out to me. I'm a big fan of of, of quoting and sourcing uh, or citing sources uh, to keep reality in news and other places. And, and so with that, you know, especially the work that I've done within the LGBTQ community to really make sure that opportunity continues to be something that is more equally accessible every single day, because so many people who worked so hard to be represented are less so now than they were at the beginning of 2023. That for me, it becomes a little bit more of a mission, a little bit less of a hobby. And that's why I love this stuff so much. I have the impossible privilege to have time right now in between diapers and bottle feeds and reading about you know new new ways to do both of those things. Uh, and by reading, I mean watching Instagram reels. Let's be let's be very real here. That's like eighty five percent of where I've learned everything about being a parent, for better or worse. I shouldn't admit that on camera, but but I have that time right now, and I'm really enjoying uh, finding meaning and purpose and and trying to. And I will say this, you know, I've, I've just rounded the base on like something like 250 of these mentoring calls with the Mirrors program because I love it. And if even one person has a job today because of that time that I spent, because of the job that Amir has spent, then I think I can speak for him. I certainly speak for myself in saying that that time was worth it because that 200 or so hours or whatever went into that, that person, that one person whose life was hopefully improved by that. And Amir is, actually has stats on this. It's something like 1,800 placements that have happened through these job researches. So it's not just one person, but if even if it was just that one person, you know, at the end of just six months, they've already more than made up for the time that went into that. So I think that that's, you know, add that to a whole career, add that to better reflection, which means games that are designed more inclusively to reflect and include and display more different people. Um, we all get to play together more. And that's what matters to me. That's lovely. And, and, you know, you're talking about inclusive design and, and I, I learned about that from women in games, the, the, the group. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a, it's like some of this stuff seems like common sense when you figure it out, like, isn't this known? Like I didn't think about this before, but, duh. but uh, I think it's a fantastic mission. And, and I feel similar to you. Whereas like, if you can help even just one person, just knowing that, Hey, you helped this, this person, this individual get to where they want to go uh, or just get back on their feet. Right. I, I think there's, there's something to be said about that. It's just a feeling that you, you, it's that dopamine effect, right? You're, you're getting those people uh, yeah. into positions that you just love. And it's a, a good feeling inside. And, and we'll make sure to link to Amir's, uh, his job stuff uh, that's on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll have links to all that stuff. So with all that being said, John, is there anyone you'd recommend or, or any influence that you have online that maybe people could check out? Yeah, you know, right right now, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of lost feeling where, yes, there's a lot of people who've been laid off now, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the neighborhood of 21 to 23,000 just since January, 2023 in the games industry. But that does not incorporate all of the people who've graduated, who are literally getting degrees to work in this space and, and are now, you know, working at Applebee's or whatever to make ends meet. So there's, you know, probably something like 100 to 150,000 people out there who are disenfranchised and probably asking, do I want anything to do with this industry anymore? And I'd like to share a few names that I recommend people follow on LinkedIn. And they're on all of these other socials, but I, I happen to really love LinkedIn because it has a little bit more of a ballast and a little bit less of a like Twitter slash X sort of a Wild West effect. Um, so you can kind of trust LinkedIn a little bit more, I, I feel. Uh, but those people, I would say, are are certainly Amir Satvat, not only for his resources, but also for his sort of daily knowledge shares. Justin Williams for very tactical information. Matt Herndon, another Blizzard person for really awesome strategic thought, like here's industry top down and kind of your role in it. Aida Figueroa, who we talked about for inspiration. Aaron Goldsmith for stories about kind of how to find your way into games and how even if you don't see yourself there, 
how her journey into games is perhaps a template that that could inform your own. Uh, Maria Blaza, who's the the fairy job mother over at Netflix Games, she has, along with um, Elisa Jaleason, this really awesome thing called Game Talk Unlocked, which is a community gathering tool, which is trying to replicate the Pokemon Go effect, actually, Greg, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, and then a host of others. Honestly, if you go to any of their pages, including my own, you'll probably see a lot of reshares within this community. If you just sort of follow that rabbit hole for a while and just hit follow a bunch, your feed is going to be a, a much more informed one, I believe, when it comes to games industry, what's going on, how to get into it, maybe even why you want to still do so. Great. I, I will. I, I agree with those resources. I follow all those resources as well. So I, I'd highly recommend that. We can link to all that stuff as well. And, and John, you know, you're one of these individuals that I, I randomly reached out into LinkedIn because I did follow you. And I was like, I hope you respond. And you did. And this has been an honor and a privilege for you to join me today. So thank you so much. And before we go, I'd like to just give you the floor. If there's anything else personal or whatever that you want to share with the audience, go for it. One last call out for gamesforlove.org. If you are interested in volunteering, of course, we're a nonprofit. We exist almost entirely from charity streams. So if you're a streamer and you'd like to stream with us, we are so, so, so grateful for everybody that does any donations. Of course, we're so excited to receive those. And every dollar is a kid helped uh, in, in this world who needs it. And also call out to some of our big corporate donors who've helped us so much in this last year, Blizzard Entertainment, uh, was hugely generous with us, Corsair Games, um, Secret Labs, these guys right here, um, and uh, Origin PC, and a number of others. Just really, really great. And we're just very grateful to you, the listener, who hopefully wants to come and hang out with us, and to all those entities for, for helping to perpetuate the work that we do. We will have links to Games for Love, everything John-related, as well as a lot of the resources that he mentioned. So once again, John, thank you so much. I hope you get some sleep. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to being in touch again. So thanks for joining. Thank you, Greg, for all that you do. Thank you.